I love being wrong. I love being wrong about something. Oh, so happy right now, Josh. Breaking news from the Big 12. The OU-Kansas State game on September 24th is a primetime 7P Central Time kick on Fox. Let's go! Let's go! Uh, Here's what the schedule looks like right now. Baylor, Iowa State, 11 a.m. Duke at Kansas at 11 a.m. TCU at SMU at 11 a.m. Texas at Tech uh, 2.30. West Virginia, Virginia Tech are playing on Thursday night. Such joy. Such joy. I Now, again, I'm a little bit of a weirdo. I don't mind 11 a.m. kicks too terribly much. But I, I'm pumped this game's at 7 p.m. So I hope we get one more night game. Those LED lights were badass. I need to see those again. Well, there you go. I'm very happy. I'm very happy right now. Um, Let's go after it. Who is it? Plank Keefe's trainer talks more about himself than OU. Who's Keefe? I don't know. Very confusing text from the 405. And the only reason I saw it is because I was hitting the latest and the best one. Let's go. Off the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Before we hit the top five things we learned. Um, been away from the radio, writes Russ in Atlanta. Were the new field lights bright enough down on the field? We were watching via an ESPN Plus, and it looked darker than last year with the old-timey lights. Feel free to cover this if you've already talked about it. No, to that particular question, I would say, um, and, and I think a lot of people in the stands even said it, it was incredibly bright. It was, like, ridiculously bright. In fact, whenever we came back out of halftime, and I guess that's when the lights were, were fully on down on the field, or you noticed it, I I almost thought at times, I'm like, I don't want to look up at those lights. I'm not going to be able to see for three days. So whatever it looked like on TV, I haven't watched um, the TV, the ESPN Plus broadcast yet. But, yeah, I am I thought it was bright as you know what. So I maybe it's a TV thing. I don't know. But it, it, was, it was super obvious that you have a, a much more illuminated view of the field. From the two one four, I sit up high under pressure box, right uh, under the press box, right under the Santee Lounge, and I thought it was rocking the whole game. It's got to be bouncing off the roof over the press box. I think it totally depends where you are sitting, if under the deck or not, if the sound just goes out. So there's another good point. There was some fans who are like, "Man, it, I didn't like the. I thought it should have been louder." Blah this that. It, it is. It's a matter of perspective and where you're sitting. Right, If you're down there and you're in that Bolden area, you know, here's a great example of it, Josh. You know what we can't figure out on game day? You know it has been the hardest things for us to figure out since they Bolden that end zone now? What are we, four or five years since that happened? Mm-hmm. The wind. We cannot figure out the wind. And I don't – I remember talking to, you know, Coach, Coach Riley, talking to you know, Shane Beamer about it, Jay Bulware. You know, you take the grass and you usually throw it up or you look at the flags – but it does, we had a segment about it during the game. It just doesn't make any sense. You'll look up on top, and you'll see those flags just straight out of the north. But then you realize, huh, that guy just 
punted with the wind at his back and it didn't do anything. Or he's kicking with the wind at his back and yet the flags on the goalposts aren't moving. So maybe sound is similar to that in certain areas. But I'm with you. I thought it was one of the best. I thought it was one of the best crowds that we've had for an early season uh, Kent State kind of a game, right? You've had Western Carolina last year. Tulane and Tulane, we didn't have the upper deck because it was kind of a last-minute thing with the unfortunate hurricane in, in New Orleans. I mean, there, there's been some early season games where you didn't necessarily have a great atmosphere in non-conference play, but I thought I thought Saturday night was pretty good. A uh, few other quick ones here from the nine one eight. I want my cele- I want my defensive back celebrating and getting excited when they make a play. Dude's got to play with a lot of emotion on that side of the ball. Okay, we we all agree. We like seeing guys celebrate. Come on, man. Really? I don't need a cornerback or a free safety or a safety flexing whenever they're in coverage and a guy gets loose but the quarterback airmails it or uh, a wide receiver has it bounce off his hands when you're not near it. That's what we're talking about. (laughs) If you want to celebrate after making a hit or celebrate after getting a PBU, yeah, you fist pump, you get back, you let them know. But I think for all of us, Josh, at times the getting in, I call it uh, bookie PTSD. It's literally you had nothing to do with the play, and you're out there letting everyone know it's an incomplete pass, and you're like, the, the quarterback threw it five yards over the head of an, of an open wide receiver. I don't think it's time to celebrate. That's what is Indeed. frustrating for fans. Yeah, don't, don't, don't uh, make the incomplete sign if – Literally, you were nowhere near the play, and probably it should have been a gain of 20. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this, I was, I was talking earlier about having a conversation with one of my buddies last night, and uh, he, he had kind of joked, man, I wonder, if, I wonder if that was intentional, the way that they played in the first half. My wife was telling the story that she had a uh, – my man Trevor Anderson. My wife was telling the story that – she had the guy that was sitting behind them that kept saying they're playing poorly on purpose so the students will stick around, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, this off the Air Comfort Solutions text line. The starters just wanted to wait until it was dark to score so they can experience the LEDs before the backups got in. <laughs> now, brilliant. Again, brilliant. But I will say that as somebody who talked to a lot of guys after the game, they didn't even know about it. There was a lot of guys that had no idea. I mean, think about it from a player's perspective. You're in meetings. Maybe you play a little bit on social media, but you're dialed into the game plan. The, the only people that were really talking about the LED lights were nerds like us. And they had no idea. They had no idea until it actually happened. But it was cool. Um, Coach Venables just wanted to make sure the students hung around for the second half. Could you? I would love to be in that locker room. Like, it, that's not what I want to make it clear. That's not what happened. All right, it's not. But could you imagine that conversation? All right, guys, listen. We go out there. We can chill for a half. We can take our time. We can try to listen. Uh, Guyton, I don't want you blocking anyone. McCain Matar, you know, just just be be like you were last week. Let's just keep this thing tight. I don't have a Brent Venables impersonation for this, but and then we'll go in the second half. It didn't happen. But it's hilarious that some of you guys connected a few dots on that front. Uh, And I think this is the best description for the game that I've seen so far. Ever watched a movie 
and for the first half hour you just really don't get the point. But then it begins to come together, and by the end it makes sense, and you think that it turned out to be decent after all. That was Saturday night's game. <laughs> Bravo. 918, you may have won the elusive ham sandwich today. Congratulations. You know what? There's some pepperoni in my fridge. I'll put some pepperoni on there for you, too. Maybe even melt some mozzarella on it. It's a great, it's a great way to describe it, Josh. Watching that game on Saturday night, there's points where you're like, I don't know what's going on here. I have no idea what's going on here. This can't be happening. Watching Bill Beanbow coaches guys up, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it just it, it, it clicks and it goes, right? And and you're rolling. It's Connor like Dunn talking where we can talk. No, no, he's not. <laughs> Holy smokes. I know. I gotta I gotta <laughs> shut those doors. My goodness. It uh it's like a movie trilogy where the first movie sucked, but for some reason they get a second and a third movie. And you know what? Second part was pretty good. The second part was pretty good. Um I keep wanting to get away from these, but you guys, it's been so good. We have the best fan base in college football from the 405, but also the most fatalistic. It's the second game of the season, and these guys have to learn to play as a unit. Plus, two guys switched in two games. Calm down, everyone. Listen, sir, I don't need your common sense on a knee-jerk Monday, okay? You can come in here with all that normal talk for Toby and, and T. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I agree with him 100%. That's exactly how I felt through nine games last season, too. Right. <laughs> it's like – I it, and then the, the natural counter is, oh, well, you're going to be saying the same thing next week and the following week after that. Everyone gets mad. I don't know if they're – here's the one thing I love about college football is I don't – I'm going to use a lot of double negatives here, so my second-grade teacher is going to be very mad at me. I don't know if there isn't a fan base in college football of the Blue Bloods, of the premier programs, that isn't fatalistic when one little thing goes wrong. Oklahoma's 2-0. Can you imagine what texags.com is like right now? Can you imagine... If there is a sports radio station and college station like ours in Oklahoma that's committed to 24-7 Aggies talk, oh, my goodness. I um, I stayed up late on Saturday night, and I watched all of the Baylor game, Baylor-BYU. Part of it was because I've been pretty consistent in my thought that I thought Baylor was going to step back. Hey, congratulations on hitting your lock of the week. Boy, that kicker tried to screw it up for me. You got your it? upset special too, didn't you? Because that's right. You had Kentucky. I got all four points. Still kind of upset by, uh, still kind of upset about Toby going Greg Sankey on us. He kind of, he kind of uh, Texas A and M'd us a little bit with uh, with Drake's inclusion into the ref Royal rumble. But I'll allow it. Yeah, well, I, I'll also allow it because he's the only one that doesn't have a point like me. So <laughs> it's such BS. I hate it, man. I can't but, ever get a pick right. It's so frustrating. Well, stupid Quinn Ewers is part of your problem, man. If he just would have got hurt the first play of the game, you wouldn't have had to worry about it. Or Alabama decides to just not suck for the entirety of that game, or Pittsburgh can win in overtime versus Tennessee. That would have been an amazing swing, too, because if Pitt would have won that game, then Teddy doesn't win his upset special. Or Teddy doesn't get his lock, and you get your upset special. Big swing. That's a big four-point swing. I'm not bitter, though. But – 
Were we talking about fatalistic fans? Did I move on past that? <laughs> yes, we anyway, were talking about fatalistic I, fans. I guess my, my, my point is more than anything else is, for the most part, it works out where you're going to be okay. It really does. Your, your team's going to be fine. But if you go into it and you expect everything to be great right out of the top, right out of the box, right from the start, then pff, you're in big trouble, man. You're, you're going to hit adversity throughout the year. Um, from the, so the question every Monday is, and this will advance. We do this on my Sunday night national show too. But after week two of Oklahoma Sooner football, I know this. And last week, obviously, there was some frustration about the fans leaving early this week. Celebration of a great atmosphere. We'll get another primetime game in two weeks against Kansas State. 7 p.m. kick, which means five, we'll be on the air with our ref, ref network pregame show at like 1 o'clock, which is awesome. Which means you guys probably get to the gimme zone too, right, Josh? With a primetime game? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, from the 6-1-4. Pre-snap penalties. Two offsides, three false starts. I'll give them the delay of game on fourth down as an attempt to draw them offsides. It took a while to find the rhythm offensively, but it could easily have been the changes to the O-line and it being hard to get excited for Kent State. Well, I'll tell you this much. Um, there is a man who will not let your energy level dip. There is a dude named Brent Venables who, if you're not excited about what's going on with with Oklahoma, if you're not excited about it, then he's going to make sure that you're excited about it in that locker room. If you're not excited about Kent State, he's going to give you a reason why you need to be. If you're not playing to the level, he's going to make sure you know you have to be. Uh, and oh, by the one more here quick. I'll say the rest of these for you, Josh. I know there is good or better from the 918. I know Oklahoma is as good or better than most top-ranked teams starting 1 through 10. I mean, does – we come into this season, if there is one thing, it's, it's weird to try to figure out Alabama-Texas, right? Because if there is one thing that, that stands out to me is how difficult it is to kind of figure out how you feel about it. Were you really? I mean, Bob Stoops choked on the broadcast on Saturday night that he found himself rooting for Texas. I kind of was too. I'm like, I, I'd like to see them pull this off. Just because everyone is so, well, it's always Bam and everyone else, and George and everyone else, and they're never going to lose, and college football is boring. Well, Bama got pushed to the and, and needed two breaks on bad calls in order to not get beat by a 5 and 7 team last year, right? So, you know, I, I think I'm excited about it because, well, we're always going to get Texas's best shot because they're Texas. But it also it kind of shows that Alabama's human. Now, Nick Saban's got to love it because of all the mistakes they made and the things that they can coach off of. But, Josh, that was a team that made a lot of mistakes on Saturday. So, to me, to that texter's point, I kind of agree. It's like I, Georgia looked really good against Oregon. They've, they've separated themselves, but – that battle two, one through ten, two through ten. You've already got a bunch of teams with losses. I feel good about where Oklahoma is through two games in that battle. And Ohio State, who would have been along with Georgia and Alabama, the other team that everybody sure. preseason thought, okay, C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, who obviously has been hurt, so that's something to consider. Travion Henderson with that trio, that Ohio State was a legitimate national championship contending type team. Well, they're 
signature win to date is a win over Notre Dame that really they didn't play all that great for one half. And, oh, by the way, that's the, the same Notre Dame team that just lost to Marshall. So based on what we have so far, yeah, I mean, Georgia and everybody else. And obviously Georgia wasn't all that great this past weekend, but I think we, we do still take note of obviously what they did to Oregon. And then real quick from Nanny TT on Twitter at Plank Show at Josh on Ref, at KRF Sports, offensive effectiveness. Do you think there is any correlation between the slower offense and the hurry-up, the faster pace in the second half seemed more successful thoughts? Well, um, they got first downs, that, and that's the key to the hurry-up offense. They got first downs, and when you get first downs, you can go. They weren't doing that in the first half. I also, I also think – that they were really trying to force the running game in the first half. I keep going back to Ted, man. Ted talked about it in the broadcast. You know, they could probably just drop back and throw it 30 times in the first half if they wanted and beat up 35 to zip with the way that that guys were getting open. But they wanted to get their running game going. And they did. They did. uh, But it wasn't until the second half, right, whenever that running game truly started to click. So. Yeah, that's five things I learned from Saturday, real quick from my perspective, and I'll get out and let Josh and Connor take you the rest of the way with the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Number one, fans, awesome. Great atmosphere. LED lights are amazing. Uh, the fireworks, the flashing, it's, it's really cool. It's a you got to be there to truly in, in, enjoy it and, and be enthusiastic about it. Number two, I think uh, the Justin Harrington re- return and the impact he's making is one of the best stories if he doesn't stumble, we're probably celebrating a touchdown. Number three, Reggie Grimes is a grown dude. He's re- he had another sack on Saturday. I don't know if they gave him a full or a half, but he's really creating havoc. Has to become more consistent, things he needs to work on, but it's fun. Uh, number four, Marcus Major's that dude. And I want to see him continue to get carries. They've got a great one-two punch with he and Eric Gray. Javante Barnes kind of sneaking in as a third. It's great. And five, man, Marvin Mims and Drake Stoops just make plays. And, you know, we could talk about Dylan Gabriel all day, and we will, but it is so fun to watch those two dudes work. And I said this to both of them during the post-game interviews. This receiver room, it really seems like they've got a good camaraderie. It seems like they really like each other. And it's exciting to watch them on the bench. It's exciting even more so to see what they're doing on the field. Those are my five things that kind of stood out. Uh, from week one, or from week two for the Sooners. Now, how about you? 405-329-9000, Riverwind Casino jackpot line. 405-651-3439, Air Comfort Solutions text line. Josh and Connor taking you the rest of the way next, right here on The Rest. Back with you, it is The Plank Show. Josh Elmer alongside Connor Pasby. Hour number three of The Plank Show. It's always... Brought to us by our friends over there at Rooftech. Rooftech of Oklahoma, locally owned and operated for 30 years. Give Josh Tucker at Rooftech a call for all of your roofing needs. 405-703-4245, where they guarantee the highest quality workmanship in the roofing industry. I saw one of the text messages out there I thought was kind of interesting. First off, Connor, good morning. How are you? Welcome to the show. Good morning, Josh. Doing well. Glad to be with you on this last last few segments we got. Plank had to leave early for Yeah, he's talking the to the assistant coaches. Did you you weren't involved with the post game at all, right? 
No, I was not. Okay, was so you not. were down at Tarleton. Tar- TCU. Yeah, I was watching. Yeah, believe it or not, I was watching my buddy for Tarleton State play against TCU. And they almost won that thing, man. Almost came 59, away with the big, Yep, yep, almost came away with the big victory. So what were some of your big takeaways then from the Oklahoma weekend that was? Have you been able to go back and rewatch the game and everything? Yeah, I did that all of yesterday. I rewatched on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, first thing, it was I thought it was shocking that Oklahoma couldn't run the ball against K-State, the lower kind of undersized defensive line for K-State. But I like what I saw on defense. Uh, I heard you guys talk a lot about Danny Stutzman. I thought he was terrific Saturday night. Loved the team in tackles. He was he was kind of all over the place. There was a few uh, big games for Kent State, but overall I thought the defense looked solid again. You take games like that instead of getting into like a shootout with Kent State. So I'm completely fine with that, and I, th- I think they're ready for Nebraska this, this Saturday. Well, let's hope they're ready for Nebraska yeah, because Nebraska be, stinks. Yeah, and then, oh, my gosh, doesn't get any better. I, I kind of – I don't know about you, but I assumed that Scott Frost was out that Sunday morning. You know, let, let's talk about that here for a moment. I'm shocked that they did this right now. And quite frankly, something that you're not going to hear a lot of, I think it was a mistake by Nebraska that they fired Scott Frost right now. What do they legitimately have to gain – over the next couple of weeks, three weeks they could have fired Scott Frost and they would have saved seven and a half million dollars. The October first. So what? What is Nebraska gaining? They're going to shift this culture this quickly right now. All of a sudden, they're not getting their new head coach in anytime soon. Okay, so all they did was cave to public pressure. There were some boosters that probably wanted this thing done and they wanted it done right now. And they say, "Hey, we got the money. We're forking it over. We've got it." I just, I don't know. To me, it just doesn't make any sense to essentially have wasted $7.5 million for something that will make, I don't think, any tangible difference for Nebraska now or into the future. I mean, what is the difference between now and three weeks? I, I just, it makes no sense to me. Do they think they're beating Oklahoma now all of a sudden this weekend? They're not. They no. stink. The damage has already been done. So you might as well have just rode the thing out if you didn't already get rid of him going into this year to pay the $15 million buyout. Then why the heck would you not wait until October 1st? I just It makes no sense to me. I get, hey, it's we, we, we got to act right now. And, and I get this. Okay, so Jesse hits us up on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. The only thing they have to gain is being the first to be able to talk to potential coaches, first to the market. They were still going to be first to the market in three weeks. What the heck else is going to happen in college football that is not going to allow Nebraska to be the first in the lunchroom, the first in the cafeteria line? They are going to be the first to talk to anybody regardless. Yeah, you got the money. You got the money. It doesn't matter if it's now or after the season. You're still going to be one of the first colleges. You're going to be able to go get the big names. But, yeah, I don't think it helps at all firing him now because, I mean, you got the interim head coach, but it's still the same old team you got out there. I don't know. I just thought that was – I'll be honest. I was surprised by it. I get that this was final straw moment, losing to uh, Georgia Southern the way they did combined with Northwestern and obviously just everything that's been going on in Nebraska for the entirety of his tenure. I just – to me it's – I mean, why would you just not wait a couple of weeks – 
They must. <laughs> that's saying they must have want him out right away to pay him an extra five million instead of waiting. Seven and a half million. Seven and a half million instead of waiting till October first. Which I've been rounding up to eight million, but technically, yeah, it is seven and a half million dollars more that uh, that they were paying Scott Frost. This is a Nebraska team that you ought to go up there, and we said this last year with Nebraska coming down here. Oklahoma ought to dominate this Nebraska team. It's going to be very, very disappointing if it's going to be very disappointing if Oklahoma doesn't go up there and just win the thing convincingly. Here's, I guess, an interesting, an interesting text, and, and I'll give this a little bit of credence. What if Frost would have upset Oklahoma and then went on a semi-roll? Then it might have been hard to justify firing him. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, there's something to that, but, I mean, let's be real here. He ain't going on a roll, and Nebraska wasn't upsetting Oklahoma. Who else? Let's look at Nebraska's upcoming schedule here. We know, obviously, we know obviously they play Oklahoma coming up this weekend. So then they've got Indiana at home, and based on, based on what happened, well, that – Indiana game's October 1st, so they could have fired him the morning of the Indiana game. Yeah, they game. could have waited till then. Time is money, coaching search, recruiting, etc. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I don't know. I just – $7.5 million. Fascinating that they actually pulled the, the trigger on it this quick. And he, he, got, he got out quick. If you saw that video of him getting, <laughs> getting in his truck and leaving the office, like bright and early Sunday morning. He said, now, the $15 million hits my bank account when? Is, is it in there now? Okay. Let me get my keys, and I am rolling out of here. Do you subscribe to this theory, too? Trev Alberts and Nebraska, they already know who they're going to hire. I don't think that they do. We just got that on the text line. They're still going to go through the interview process, and they I mean, I would imagine – that they've got their list, four or five candidates that they really, really like. And we'll see, right? Now you talk to them and you find out which guy do you, after those conversations, like the best and who wants the job. And if what some of the speculation out there is right, I'm hearing buzz for both of the Kansas schools as candidates here. Leopold of Kansas and Climate of Kansas State, we'll see. I mean, I... Can't imagine that Nebraska wants to go the route of bringing in Urban Meyer. I don't think they want any of that drama. We'll see, program, though. But we'll, we'll see, though. Well, I mean, Mark Stoops obviously has to be on top of that list. What, what, what's, what's the more sexy job, though? What Mark Stoops has going on at Kentucky, he has, he has that thing on a roll. Or just turning around and taking the Nebraska job and trying to rebuild that program. I don't know. I mean, it's a fair question. The pressure's not. I mean, I know, I know, the, I know the money. I know the money is there from Nebraska, but dude, Mark Stoops has that thing rolling in Kentucky, and I don't think he wants to leave that. Well, the the thing for him could be: Do you want to be the big show in town? Which we saw a little bit of that with Mark Stoops, right? With his little dust up with John Calipari, Calipari saying, "Hey, this is a basketball school." And Kentucky is, and that's never changing at Kentucky. I know that Mark Stoops was upset about that, 
and I don't blame him for being upset, and I don't blame him for defending his program and going to bat. Bottom line is Calipari was right. That is the case at Kentucky. And so is there some interest there for Mark Stoops to go be the man at a football school? Nebraska football, that's always going to be the biggest show in town. There's obviously, you know, similar to some of these other programs, there's not a professional team to worry about. So literally, in the state of Nebraska, that's it. Nebraska football, that is everybody's livelihood. That's how they define athletic success in that state. So is that something that would be attractive to Mark Stoops if he's one of the serious candidates? But I agree with what Jay and Tulsa is saying out there too. Full rebuild at his age, at the age of 55. Why in the hell would he leave Kentucky to go take on that at Nebraska? Again, he's got a good thing going to Kentucky where they're just now really, really playing very good football. Just upset Florida over, uh, well, if you call it an upset, beat Florida over the weekend. Kentucky's playing the best football they've played maybe in their program's history. And right now it's not really like there's any sort of end in sight. I mean, it looks like it's just full steam ahead. So do you want to take on a full rebuild or do you just stay where you're at where you kind of don't have as much pressure in part because it is a basketball school? You avoid the whole trying to take on a big rebuild. Or, again, what I said, the taking over a football program that that's the lifeblood of the state. Is that something that is attractive to you? It might be. It might be. But you're right. He does have less pressure at Kentucky because the stakes are not as high. and He's perfectly fine with just keeping Kentucky in the top 25. They don't have to be... You know, they don't have to win like 10 or 11 games. I mean, bowl eligible is what they do at Kentucky. But obviously, Mark wants to do more, and that's what he's doing at Kentucky. But, yeah, you you just put so much pressure on yourself. Go get prime time. (laughs) Go get prime time. You're putting so much pressure on yourself going to Nebraska, the way things are at Nebraska right now. But if you win, man. If you win. Oh, man, if you win. We got a bunch of your submissions flying in on the Nebraska firing of Scott Frost which uh, has, of course, added importance for Oklahoma because guess what? You get to go to Lincoln for the first time in a long time come Saturday. So let's kick your responses around. A few more of those when we come back. Uh, Brent Venables, haven't really shared much of his postgame with you. We can do that as well before we get out of here. Josh Elmer alongside Connor Pasby. This is the Plank Show reacting, of course, as well to Oklahoma's victory not perfect. Poor offensive first half for the Sooners. What questions do you have? 33-3, to though, the final. The uh, Sooners narrowly do not cover versus Kent State, but they do win by 30. A couple more segments to go. It's the Plank Show right here. Hour number three brought to us by Roof Tech of Oklahoma. Josh and Connor taking a T.O. We're back with you next right here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. It's the home of Sooner fans after this. Back with you here. Plank Show. Josh Elmer. Connor Pasby. Homo Sooner fans. What up, everybody? Hope you had a great weekend out there enjoying the first full weekend of college football mixed with National Football League action. Oh, baby. So great. You couldn't picture a better college football Saturday with everything that went on. Love your show. In you hiring Turd Meyer. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate the kind words and great text. Connor. 
Hope you're doing well today, sir. That is from Gunny of Stutzman Army. My man, Gunny. Thank you, Gunny of Stutzman Army. Stutzman Army. Are you doing well? Yes, I am. Have you I recovered? <laughs> Have you gotten fluids into the system from what I'm sure was a wild weekend? Yeah, I had I had a few. Uh, yeah, I had a few while watching some college football. But yes, drink plenty of water afterwards, and we are we are good to go. Kindle asks, "Do you think they gave Scott Frost enough time to get his recruits into the program?" <laughs> yes, they gave Scott Frost enough time. Plenty. Was it, wasn't this year five of Scott Frost? Yes, a long a long five years. I mean, a for full, Mr. Scott Frost, a full recruiting cycle. Look, you got to get it going. When when people say they didn't give him enough time, then that's one recruiting cycle is enough time. And if you don't have it figured out by then, you got to go. Yeah, you had too many chances. I thought Nebraska gave him, yeah, a lot of chances, and that is why the time, it was time for him to go. No. You, you probably have heard this stat, and I'm not the first person that will share this, but the remarkable statistic that was that this just put everything into perspective about how bad Scott Frost was, right? Scott Frost could have won before, before again losing to Georgia Southern, right? He could have won 50 straight games, Connor, 50 straight games, and not had the same record as Bo Pelini. Can you believe that? That is crazy. And that's showing the success that Bo Pelini had. At well, they fired Bo Pelini. Yes, they fired him Because too. it wasn't good enough. Because Nebraska wanted to be Nebraska of yesteryear, and Nebraska fans are having this sad, slow realization, oh, maybe we're never going to be Nebraska of yesteryear again. They had somebody that was winning there, but wasn't winning big enough. They bring this other guy in who we, – we got another text about this that was really good, and I wanted to hit this. Let me see if – I want to read the verbatim text that we got. Is there anyone out there that's part of the Nebraska family, so to speak, like Vittables at Oklahoma? Yeah. Scott Frost is who you're talking about. They went and just hired that guy, and it did not work. So I don't know – what you do outside of just hiring a good football coach. Chris Kleiman, I think, would be a good hire. Would be a great hire for Nebraska. I don't think you can do it, but I would make a phone call to Dave Aranda at Baylor. I would talk to great head football coaches across America. I wouldn't get caught up in the, oh, let's go get our Nebraska guy. I think programs fall into this trap all the time where and Venables, though, Venables, and I'm not saying you can't go that route and have it be very, very successful. Because guess what? There is the element, and we're seeing it here with Brent Venables, somebody that spent a long time in Norman, Oklahoma, and understands what Oklahoma football is all about. Right, Connor? Gets it. Was a big part of winning national championship, coaching several others while at Oklahoma. Gets what Oklahoma football at its apex is supposed to look like. Gets it. Oklahoma guy. Didn't obviously play college football at Oklahoma. He played at Kansas State, but for many intents and purposes, part of the Oklahoma family, right? When you hear people part, say yeah. when you hear people say, hey, let's go get somebody on the go get somebody from the this or that program's family. So it can work. I think Venables is already proving that it's working in a big way in terms of just the recruiting 
uh, momentum that Oklahoma has, and I think this season will show you that. Even though we have some gripes about how the first half played out this past weekend, Brent Vittables is going to have Oklahoma playing some really good football. That being said, it should not be the end-all, be-all in the hire that you make. And a lot of programs just across the country, oh, we got to get a Michigan man. We, we've got to get a Nebraska man. Go get a great football coach, which they thought Scott Frost was going to be that, and he did happen to have the qualifications of being a Nebraska guy too. None of it. None of it works. And do you take a guy from a smaller school who's been building up a program, or do you go after one of the big dogs who's an offensive or defensive coordinator, say like Alabama's defensive coordinator? But I saw someone mention Matt Campbell. I mean, that name's been thrown around a little bit. Do you still you still find him on the list maybe? I think it'd be a good hire. Yeah, sure I do. I heard, I heard, I heard, Iowa State. I heard you and Plank talk about it a little bit, but maybe – you think he has to win a little bit more now? Oh, I think he's qualified for the job right now. Now, he would come in with a little bit more momentum if Iowa State is good this season. But I don't think anybody, even even if Matt Campbell and Iowa State finish, let's say, 5-7 and seven this year, people will not scoff at Matt Campbell getting hired in Lincoln just because of some of the things he's already done. Well, Iowa yeah, with not, with not many resources at Iowa State, too, what he's been able to do. Right. You get the infrastructure, everything that you get at Nebraska. It would be a game changer for Matt Campbell. And if I was Matt Campbell, I would be looking to, yes, get out of Iowa State for a job like in Nebraska if I have the opportunity to do so. And I think that's the perfect time for him, too. He's been at Iowa State for quite a long time now, and he's still at a young age where he can – you know, get out and go to a bigger program. From the 614, do you at least try for Luke Fickle knowing he's an Ohio guy? Absolutely, you try for Luke Fickle. That would be a tremendous hire because, again, he's somebody that has won big, is a proven coach, but also I think you hit on another piece of it that's important. He's an Ohio guy, which for Nebraska, where they need to establish their recruiting bases moving forward, they need somebody like that. Nebraska needs to get Gundy. That's something we're, we're, getting, we're getting we some Mike Gundy. About. We're getting some Mike Gundy now. That's uh, Let's take a final break. Let's come back and let's kick that around a little bit before we get out of here. And I'll play just uh, one piece of Brent uh, – Coach Brent Venable's opening postgame press conference as well. Before we call it a day, it's the Plank Show. One final T.O., Josh and Connor back to put a bow tie on it next. One final time, we're back with you. Plank Show, Josh Elmer alongside Connor Pasby. Connor, what do you got going on today, dude? Anything fun? Got some softball tonight. Got Edmund Santa Fe and Norman softball. There you go. There you go. I got, man, I got a pretty busy week with... Broadcasts? Yeah, with high school stuff and then... Capping off with Norman High at Stillwater Friday night. There you go. Little little trip out to Stilly. And then we'll get ready for the trip to Lincoln, baby. OU in Nebraska. From a Leipold climbing perspective, what other jobs are going to be available at year's end? If they have the kind of seasons they're poised to have, do you settle on Nebraska? Is Penn State going to open? An SEC job. Nebraska is an absolute train wreck, and the restoration task is monumental. Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks that way. And, again, this this is what I was talking about. Nebraska was always going to be first, right? We're, We're just getting going on this coaching carousel deal. 
So the idea that Nebraska, oh, man, they're going to beat all these, beat everybody to the punch. Well, if your targets are Lance Leopold and climbing from the two Kansas schools, guess what? They're not talking to you until after the season's over anyways, right? So the $7.5 million, you totally wasted it. And probably those guys, even if they were talking to you in season, like a Lincoln Riley was talking to USC last season, in season, see how everything comes full circle I here, love it. I love ladies it. and gentlemen. <laughs> they're probably going to want to wait to see what else is out on the table, too. I mean, that's a great point. Yeah, I'd rather have the Penn State job than Nebraska. There's probably an SEC job or two, depending on which one it is. Auburn, I'd rather have that job than Nebraska, simply based on location and how I can re- recruit at the gig. Conference, too? SEC? Yeah. Probably, yes, probably. Though the Big Ten has kind of counterpunched there a little bit with the additions of USC and UCLA, and the financial arm is just as good in the Big Ten and maybe going to wind up being better than what financially the stakes are in the SEC. Though, in terms of just strictly the football being played, I think everybody agrees SEC is better than the Big Ten. It's uh, where the national championships have been been getting won and where probably they're going to continue being won because guess what? You got you got Alabama, you got now Georgia onto the scene, and several others have jumped in there and got their own natties as well. Hey, that's it for us. We'll continue the Scott Frost stuff throughout the rest of this week. What does it mean for Nebraska? I think it's a fascinating question going into this game. Probably not a lot because Nebraska stinks, but we'll kick it around anyways. Hey, that's it for us on the Plank Show. For Plank, I'm Josh saying so long, everybody. Still man and dude at noon. They're next, baby.